Thank you, guys. That was wonderful music today. Uh, good morning. My name is Matt Cassidy. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Covenant Church. When I show up, yeah, I've decided to show up. I'll be here till Christmas. So uh, enjoy. And yes, I do have a black eye. I do. Uh, this young buck didn't know what he was doing and hit me with his elbow right across the top of my eyelid. And this is the bestest look in, I don't know, four days. Worst black eye I've ever had. But all I can say is, you should have seen the other guy. So. <clears throat> That's our children's pastor, Robert Morris. And we had staff reviews uh, last week. <laughs> they were kind of animated. Uh, Ray had to get up and take a phone call, so it was just Robert and me in the room, and I just said, Robert, so help me, if you say Roll Tide in one more staff meeting. <laughs> and he said, you mean I can't say Roll Tide? I shouldn't say Tide Roll. I can't say Crimson Tide. Never say Roll Tide. And he was playing me then. And then by the time Ray got back in, there were two chairs broken, and both of us have these black eyes. <laughs> that is not what happened. <clears throat> but it's a lot better than what really happened. We both got hit in playing the sports that we enjoy that our wives don't understand. So anyway, I have an announcement, an honest announcement. I do have a black eye, but I have an honest announcement. One is uh, we, we need 50 more people to work in our children's ministry. Could you consider saying, say yes, say yes. 50 people, most of them in our, are in our Cornerstone building, which is where our youngins are, the, the younger, the toddlers and below. We would love for you to serve there. It'd be a great chance to give, especially some of these younger couples, a, a uh, a break, and then you can serve your church, you can serve the Lord, you can serve the church at whole by doing that. Would you seriously consider doing that? Uh, if you want to know more information, there's a table in the lobby right by the say yes sign, and then you can get uh, online and, and check the website and that whatever that internet thing is to do, you can do that as well. So um, think about that, please. Serve your church that way. Second of all, on August 26th, we'll start a multi-week series uh, based on the book With. And uh, we've done this in the past. We've, sometimes somebody brings us a book or leadership's reading book, and we find a book that we thought, you know what, as a family, it'd be great if we all went through this together. And because there's some common vocabulary that would be great for us to use in the future, we can, you know, shorten our conversations if we can say in a previous book, we would say, oh, that person's just stuck at the wall. You're stuck at the wall. You're going to be there until you resolve this. That's a book we read previously, Stuck at the Wall, was a phrase that we still use today. With is a very good book that I would recommend to a number of people, even a church. So uh, we're selling the books in the lobby for a discounted rate, uh, and even $10. If you'd like to buy a copy for yourself or your friends, that would be great. It'd be a good thing to do um, in a neighborhood Bible study, for example. I'll tell you about that after the service. Um, but in addition to that, we're also going to have a small group Bible study that meets at the 11 o'clock hour. If you're new to Grace or maybe you're not, you just want to get connected at Grace or haven't found a place and you or want to experiment with what a small group looks like, come to the 915 service, get you a free coffee on the way across, go into the auditorium, and there'll be discussion group leaders there that have already read the book and are trained to lead um, in a conversation, and you guys could go through that book together. So those are the two applications for the WITH series. It's starting in just a couple weeks. So by all means, um, look at going to the table. There's a table in the lobby about that. And then on the, on the web as well, there's more information. Hey, that's the sound of life. That's my yard getting green right now. So haven't heard that sound in a while. Uh, if you look in your bulletin there, it says the title of today's sermon is There Are Three Types of People. 
I've always thought there were three types of people. There are, there are, there are the type of people that understand math and the type of people that don't. <laughs> if you look at, uh, for millennia, for thousands of years, men and women in various fields that have studied the nature of man have pondered and observed and studied and deduced what is the nature of man, and they will they almost always conclude that there are three types of men. There's three types of people living their lives out. And so I've chosen just four sources. There are dozens of sources through the centuries, Eastern and Western, that will say there's three types of existence in this. And I'm, I'm going to use four, but, and we're going to go over there very quickly. I won't have time to explain them. You'll, you'll see they're rather simple. But I, what I'm doing, the reason I'm doing this, I want you to be listening for where do you fit in? Which type of person are you? If of, of someone that loves you and knows you well, they'd say you're a type one or two or three type person. Okay, that's, we're going to do diagnostic work and then maybe have some conclusions towards the end. Which type of person are you? We'll go in chronological order. We'll start 4,300 years ago in the Greek culture, known for their wisdom and their philosophy in the Greek language, because they were intuitive and understood the nature of men. They had, for, the word, for our word love, they had four words for that. And those words break down into three types of people. Their word for love at its elemental level was the word eros, where we get the word erotic. That is physical love. It is the body love. Now, it, it, can be cons- it can be seen as lustful, but it's also romantic love. It has tremendous uh, power and potential in the human experience, both for good and for bad. Pretty easy to understand that, physical love. And then the next type of person that, that the Greek language uh, accentuates is in two different Greek words. One is for affection and one is for friendship. And I think the reason two words are needed is because the Greeks highly exalted friendship. They had immense value in their friendships, guys with guys and gals with gals. As a matter of fact, there was greater affection towards a friend, generally speaking, than there would be towards your own mate. Very common, actually more common than not, uh, two friends would go on vacation together as opposed to a husband and wife running off for a weekend. Because friendship was, friendship love was what they would consider a spiritual, we would call a soulish experience. It's it's the full human experience to have that kind of friend. And so they had two words for friendship love. So there was the erotic kind, eros, and then there was phileo. And then last they had a word that we would translate sometimes charity. That is agape love. Now this type of love they would say was a supernatural love. It's the highest kind, but it is a love of a different nature. It is different in that it is selfless, it is unconditional, it is completely sacrificial. It was a love that is more than what's here and now, right? And this agape love, this is what we were made for. I mean, I'm sorry, this is what we were designed for, agape love. Which one are you? Where do you fit? Have you experienced anything like agape love? Type one love? That second type, which one would you fall into? 300 years uh, before Christ, uh, one of the famous Greek philosophers was Aristotle, and he's writing his son uh, in a book called Nicomachean Ethics, and he's saying, hey, look, you, you need to understand they're not good or bad, but they're just three types of friendships that you can have. 
And they represent three types of relationships you can have with one another. And the first type of friendship is the friendship for utility. And this is a, this is a type of friendship where you give a little to get a little. And, and make, sure you, make sure you get as much or more than you give. Because this friendship, it's, it's all about you. It's all about getting. It is two people agreeably using one another. That's friendship for utility. He said there's another type of friendship, and that's a friendship for pleasure. And that's when two people look at each other and they realize they maybe like the sense of wit or personality or qualities or sometimes even habits that that other person has. And so this is two people getting what they want, but together. It's not all about me. It's more like all about us. Oh, you like fishing? I like fishing. I like, uh, I like your jokes. So let's go fishing together. Do you see? He said there's a third type of friendship that's extremely unusual. It is a friendship for goodness sake. For goodness sake. This is like, it is not like the other type of friendships because this type of friendship is when you see the goodness, when two people see the goodness in each other. So they're facing out. They're not even thinking about themselves. They're facing out towards another human being and they're saying, I enjoy your goodness and I want to do whatever I can do to bring out the greatness of that goodness. And the problem with this, this third type of friendship, this friendship for goodness, is that you have to be willing to love above being loved. You have to be willing to love above and beyond just being loved. Because again, the focus is on another person. It's about giving. It's, the first one's all about me. The second one's all about us. This one's, this one's all about you. And it's a very unusual thing. Aristotle said this is the highest of all loves. This, or friendships, this friendship for goodness, this is what we were made for. No, I'm sorry. This is what we were designed to experience. Most of us have friends of utility. I mean, I think almost everyone would. And some of us have friends for, for pleasure. But the reason so few people, Aristotle would say, so few people have friends for goodness is because it takes a type of person to be that type of friend. And so you have to be the sort of person that would consider other people more important than yourselves to even qualify to be friends with someone else with those same attributes. 19th century, let's go fast forward, Soren Kierkegaard. He all but invented existentialism, and he is certainly uh, the person who talked first about what we call Christian existentialism, and he said there's three types of existence in the world that a human is capable of. Three types of existence, those were the words he used. And the first one was aesthetic, and what he meant by that was, was physical. It was just, it was just, it was pre-moral or amoral. It's just whatever, it's the pleasure principle, if you're f familiar with Freud, right? Uh, pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. Here's the motto, right? If it feels good, do it, right? That's, it's all about self-satisfaction. That's all it is, this, this first level of existence, what he called aesthetic. And then the second one was what he called moral existence. Uh, his word was ethical. And the moral stage isn't negotiating whether it feels good or is painful. It is whether it's right or wrong. 
and making decisions bound by morality. It's a higher level of existence that people can experience if they can pull themselves up by the bootstraps and live a moral life, and it is a a life bound by duty. The third level he he calls the uh, spiritual experience. He calls it religious. That uh, a word uh, back then that would make it it would mean something different in his times, and so we wouldn't say it's a religious uh, existence. We would say more spiritual, and it is more and different than morality. It is more and different than morality. His phrase was, "It is a living relationship with a trans with the transcendent God." It was, his emphasis was living relationship. It's not good versus evil. The choice is, uh, is this going to cause me to be more intimate with the divine being, or is this going to alienate me from Jehovah, Yahweh God? And it is this type of spiritual existence that we were, that we were made, not, not made for, designed for. That's what we're designed for. And Kierkegaard was in a, in a culture where when you were born, you were quite literally born into the church. It's where you got your birth certificate and everyone was assumed to be in the church. And so he was quite cynical about church attenders. And he said, almost everyone attending the church is part of what he called the Christian herd. Because, and he, the reason you could tell they were not really in a, in a spiritual existence, but just a moral existence is because the moral existence has no joy. And the spiritual existence, it, it overflows with joy. Spiritual existence, it is, is not a set of beliefs. It is a relationship with a living God. A, a, a moral existence is, is like a photograph of someone. Spiritual existence is the person in the photo. A moral existence has you doing and maybe the actions and the habits of Jesus Christ. Spiritual existence, it gives you Jesus Christ. And it was the highest and best and purposeful. It is what we were designed to experience. Where are you on those existences? Right? Aesthetic, moral, spiritual. 21st century, or I'm sorry, 20th century, the father of analytic psychology, Carl Jung, right? He said that, he's a very strange phrase, he said everyone needs to be born three times. Everyone should be or could be born three times. The first birth is pretty obvious, and he talked about it as the birth of your physical body, and during that section, he put them in stages as well. I'm not sure they should be because you bounce around a little bit, but in the first stage, uh, physical birth, you are consumed with your physical body. There's, it's, you're looking at yourself. You're, you're feeding the indulgences of your physical body. You're doing whatever you, your body desires, you know, and so you, you serve it. But also, by the way, because it's in stages, he talks about how this is when you're young and this is the time when you're free and you're innocent, and you're naive, and it is a joy-filled joy, not that, but a happy time in a person's life. It's when they are a child because of their innocence. The next birth, he says, is the birth of the ego, what we call the birth of the self, the birth of maybe a conscience, a birth of personality. He uses the word individuation. I think he invented the word individuation, where you find out who you are. 
You find out who you are and who you're not. And it, it takes a considerable amount of labor, right? The labor and delivery on this is decades because what he says, the, the, uh, the, the vice, the experience that causes a person to have this birth of who they are is, is the compounding increases of responsibility of adulthood. And the idea here is, is that the, the struggling with adulthood, and even now there's a phrase now, right? You might have some children about that age where they say, I'm adulting. And it's not a, it's not a good time. It's, and what they're saying is I'm losing my innocence because I'm picking up responsibility because I'm becoming an adult. And uh, in, in some of uh, other people's writings about this stage, they'll call it the warrior stage because you have to fight for what you want. It's an ambitious series of, of, of years, and there's no time for innocence. There's no place for that. It's taken advantage of. This is the loss of innocence. This is Peter Pan growing up, getting a job, paying a mortgage. There's another birth, he says, that can take place but does not often take place. And this is when a person realizes that the first two births are not who they are. They are much less than who they are. They are the least physical. And we are more than the things we have and what we've accomplished and even our friendships. We are, he would say, at this third birth, this spiritual birth, he would say, we realize that we are essentially spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings occasionally having a spiritual experience. A person, you can see a person that's been born this third time, this spiritual birth, because they can, enjo- because they can enjoy adult responsibilities and they regain their innocence. They have the joy of a child, but the responsibilities of an adult. They know the boundaries of life and what they're they're supposed to, you know, carry on their own. It's being responsible and being innocent. It is being old and being young. It is responsible and free. Often, Lotzu is quoted at this point. Here's a quote from him explaining this third spiritual birth. It's having without possessing. It's acting with no exception. It's leading and not trying to control. Young says, everybody's born physically. Many people are born to their self, their ego. Very few, very few ever have a spiritual birth. What they will do is they'll get spirit dust, sprinkle it all over the ego because it makes a well-rounded person. It looks good with friends, whatever it might be, but it's still the the vocabulary, even the disciplines, the experience in church or whatever it might be are for the purpose of feeding that ego again. It's not independent of that. It's not a a self-forgetfulness to pursue greater things, the spiritual things. So Carl Jung would ask us, what would he ask us? He'd say, how many times have you been born? These are just four sources. I promise you there are at least a dozen more. We haven't talked even really about any of the Eastern uh, wisdom. But it's, you can see the pattern here. You can see and you can come to this, these conclusions yourself, can't you? That we are man. We are animals. We are mammals. And, and we have attributes and the needs as mammals. But second type of person, we are so much more. There's a difference in man, and, a, and there's a difference it makes. We are not like other mammals. We're not different in degree. We are different in kind. 
We're different in kind of our attributes. We are different in kind in our desires. And to get that to that next level from this mammal level to this human level, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can become moral. We can fight for the things, these levels of friendships, and, and, and we get there, and we can find ourselves successfully there for maybe sometimes even an extended period of time. And when we arrive, we say, is that all? Isn't there something more? And that's the curse of being a human. When you get to that place, as soon as you're there, you feel like, wait a minute, you're haunted. You're hearing echoes from another place and another time, and you can't get there from here. You can't get there. You can't, you can't settle and be content by just being moral. All the great thinkers, male and female, Eastern, West, for centuries, for millennia, all understand that there's this plateau and this inexplicable desire for more, but the inability to achieve that. They all have their various, you know, attempts at those things because they're just, they're kind of swinging in the dark. The Bible, when it tells a story about this, here's how they explain it. It says, somewhere between the design and the, and the production, I would say mass production, something broke. Be between the design phase of what God designed us and what we actually experience, the mold was bent. The die was broken. It's as though there was a fall <laughs> in between these two places of what God intended and what we experience. And in that fall, there was a dent, a crack, a bend, a break, a ruining. And now we can't live the fullness of what the design was. We have to live in the context of being broken and unable to do anything about it. Adam and Eve, before this fall, they were living the fullness of all of these wise men's experiences without any difficulty, with ease, with, with no problems. They lived all three experiences. They weren't fighting and having to wrestle for physical needs being met. They uh, had all expressions of friendships with one another, and they could enjoy each other for goodness' sake. Uh, th their love was on all levels because they didn't need to take they could, they could always give. There was no competition for identity. There was no threat to their personality. They were to the brim with responsibility as they were delegated a co-regent status with the creator of the universe to rule the creation. And while all of that is un, like on their shoulders, they could still stop and smell the roses. They could still chase some butterflies. They would laugh out loud. They were known for giggling constantly. And then, in that design state, they were filled with joy. And then, and then they thought that the designer was withholding something good or there was something better out there. And so they rebelled against the maker, God, Yahweh, and his holiness. And in that moment, that's the fall. 
And when that die of what, 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 what the definition of what it meant to be a man, a man or woman, mankind, when that hit the ground, thud, all of creation was shaken with grief. It would never be right again. And now this dent, bent, cracked, ruined, damaged die is put on the assembly line, and that is now the new broken nature of mankind. The first child of Adam and Eve, I mean, actually the first person born, okay, Cain, murdered his younger brother for petty jealousy. And we are off. <laughs> and mankind begins from there. And now, and now, uh, simple physical needs uh, have to be sought after, fought after. We have, to, we have to thrive and scrounge. We have to be competitive about that. It, to experience the goodness, a, a second type of experience, whether, you know, it's love or friendships or identity uh, or, or whatever it might be, uh, existentially. Right? What do we have to do to have that? We have to we have to fight and tug and, and work and be disciplined to find ourselves in a moral state where our conscience is finally clear for a certain period of time, our friendships are stabilized. And with all of that work, all that strife, all of, of that energy, boom, it can be lost in a moment. Have a 10-year relationship that's been you know, nurtured and for a, a misunderstanding dissolves, gone. It slips right through our fingers, right? It's like trying to carry water across a desert. And to think that we could ever be walking uh, in the garden at, in the evening, in the coolness of the evening, having an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, that's beyond our hope. And if you, again, if you look at all the wise men and women over the years and they talk about three types of people, they'll tell you there is this third type, but... But it can't be had unless they'll say an existential moment, some kind of miraculous rebirth. They'll say there must be a radical breakthrough, one person says. There's a story in the Bible that tells this story. It is a person that has found themselves at this second type of existence, uh, beautifully consistent in being a moral person, but knows knows there's more and doesn't know what to do with it. It's found in John chapter 3. It says, now there was a Pharisee, his name was Nicodemus, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling party. And see, he's going to speak, and he's going to represent everyone, every man or woman who's ever lived the fullness of level type 1, and they've chosen to fight their way to type type two, and they're living a good life, and they're trying to succeed in that, and yet there's more. And so he says to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, that you've come from God, because no one could, could perform the signs and the miracles you do if it weren't for the fact that you're from God. And then Jesus goes right after, he says, he knows what he wants. He says, very truly, I tell to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. The word again there, it also means above. You have to, I know what you want, Nicodemus. You can't, there's nothing on, in creation that can get you there. You must be born from above. You must be born again. And so Nicodemus is getting the words mixed up, and he says, well, I'm a little bit old. Am I supposed to return to my mother's womb? And Jesus comes back, and he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born, unless they're born of water 
and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That makes sense. You're talking about spirit now. So spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised in me saying you must be born again from above. The wind blows wherever it, wherever it pleases. You can hear the sound, but you, don't, you can't tell where, it's, where it comes from and where it's going. This, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah, the only way you can get to this third type, this spiritual rebirth, is to be born again, born from above, born by the Spirit. You can't get there. It's a miracle. And so he says this in 3, 15 and, uh, 13 through 15, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus. So Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And then, and in that, everyone who believes may have eternal life. He's answering the question, so if I can't do this, if I can never experience this third type of reality, how does it happen? And so Jesus answers and says, here's how you're born again. Here's how you're born from above. Here's how you're born from the Spirit. And then he uses an illustration that this rabbi, this Jewish scholar knows. He says, you remember during the Exodus, the story of Exodus, this one section in the book of Numbers? Remember how the people are being justly or uh, uh, um, judged by God because of the rebellion against God? And, and these snakes, these vipers have come out and they're poisonous and the poison is killing the, the people upon the bite. And so the people are beginning to die, and God provides grace. God provides a way out. God provides salvation for them. He has Moses with some bronze form a serpent, and he puts it up on a staff, on a stick. And if you looked at that serpent high and lifted up, if you looked at that, believing in the promise that gazing upon it would cause the venom to be ineffective you would be saved. Justice would pass over. God would not condemn you if you saw and looked at that with faith. Jesus is saying that promise from God was pointing to this promise. Jesus says, I'm that snake. I will be lifted up. I will be put on a post. And when you look up at me at that crucifixion, you will be saved from the judgment that you deserve. Justice will pass over you. You must look upon me and gaze upon me with the belief in the promise of God that that death is adequate to pay for your sins. That's what he's saying. You have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You have to be born from the Spirit. and happens by putting your faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that's the whole purpose of Jesus coming as the second Adam, the only, other, the only other human that was built, right, on the design pattern, not on the bent mold. He comes and he can do things that we can't do. He lives a life that's sinless so he can pay for sin that he doesn't commit. That's the purpose of his coming. That's why you, now this, the, this, is, the, this is the meaning of the verses that you see watching golf on TV. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son to put him on a post to pay the price for other people's sin if they would gaze at him and look upon him and believe in the promises of God that that death was adequate to save you. Then you are born again from above by the Spirit. Here's a quick, easy application. 
Have you ever looked upon the crucifix? That crucifixion with that heart in mind. Have you ever made a decision that you realize that it is, it is all my faith in Jesus Christ? It is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. No hedging your bets. Not a little bit of here, a little bit of little religion over here. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It is putting your faith in his work and his work alone. He doesn't need your help. You only contaminate things. See, when we add our works to it, it nullifies the cross, the power of the cross. So let me ask you, have you ever done that? Have you ever said, oh, oh, I get it now. The only way I could be born again would be to completely change the way I can attain this, and that is to gaze at the fulfillment of the promise of God to provide a payment for me. You can do that today. If you have questions, you, I would if I were you, uh, then like fill out the bulletin, put your name and contact information, say I have some questions about what this means, and we'll get back to you, okay? But this is... <laughs> This is very important. This is how you're born again. This is how you're born from the Spirit. This is how you're born from above. As newborns, it is our, it is our command from Jesus Christ to now become like Christ in all of life. That's what he said. He said, make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Once you've been born again, now you must become like Christ. The point is to go back to the design. And how do you do that? Now that you're on this third tier, you can do that. And here's how. First, spirit. You need the spirit of God. Real change, what do we learn so far? Real change in a soul only happens by the grace of God. Another, let me use another phrase. Real change in a human soul only happens as a miracle, Right? That's how you're born again. This is saying, look, additional real change in a human soul is still a spiritual event. Additional real change in a human soul is still miraculous. And so what we begin in salvation is this hope and faith in God alone to change us. We continue that in our Christian life to become like Christ in more of life, in all of life. And so all of, all of our salvation experience is based on grace is based on God doing the work. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> the Spirit of God, he's allergic to pride. He's a gentleman. He won't push his way in. If you want to drive, he'll let you drive. You want your life, you got it. He's waiting, needing a yielding soul that says, this is your life, not mine. Thy will be done, not my will be done. This is what we do at Grace Covenant Church. I mean, one of our major treatises here is we believe only God's grace transforms. We believe that what you begin in the spirit in your birth, you continue in the spirit in your continual growth to become like Christ in all of life. That's what we do here at Grace. Do you want to know more about how the spirit of God can miraculously change you? This whole different model of change? Why don't you come and join us? If you know how this works, would you like to help us help other people do this? This is, what, this is what we do here. We'd love to help you. We'd love you to help us. Spirit, you're going to need truth. You want to become like Christ in all of life? You're going to need truth. You have to, 
you have to change the way we, we, we have to change the way we think about everything. We have to change the way we think about our value. We have to change the way we think about the beliefs that we have rattling around in our heads. I would say we have to like be reprogrammed. Let me put it another way. We are in the matrix. We've got to get out of the matrix to be healed. Our values, our habits, our traditions, our memories, our upbringing, all these things. The, the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, the good and pleasing and perfect will. He's saying, look, we've got we to stop being conformed and listening to lies and believing the lies and living as though the lives are true. We, the lies are true. We've got to be transformed, and we're going to do this by renewing our minds with truth. And we owe this to God. We owe this to the people that love us. We owe it to ourselves to completely, we have to think about how we think. And so that's what we do here at Grace. I mean, we do that all over the place here at Grace. We have Bible studies. We have community groups. We have courses that are going on. We have all these opportunities, vast numbers of opportunities, so that you and I can get in situations and say, I keep making the same mistake over and over again. Maybe I'm thinking wrong. Maybe I'm conformed to this world. Maybe I should be transformed. Could you help me? So, What are you doing to change the way you think? The third thing, you need the spirit, you need truth, and then you need relationships. All this is packaged in uh, the beauty of interpersonal communications, right? God's primary use and, and voice in many of our lives is another saint. And, and, and meeting like this is purposeful, but not for the context of maybe life change. It is our hope that everyone in our congregation, it, honestly, one of our goals is that every single person would find a place where they could have one or two, remember, type three friends, type three for goodness sake, that you, we could provide avenues so that you might have an acquaintance that would become a friend, right, that would become a friend for goodness. So, man, maybe you could get involved in some context so that you could get to know someone that way. I know a lot of you have been coming to church for a long time, and it doesn't seem to be working. You haven't had a lot of change in your life. That's not the fault of Christ. I can tell you why next week. Some of you in your Christian life, you would say, you know, it's kind of dull. I feel like I've plateaued. I'm, not, I'm just coming because the family makes me. I got to tell you, boredom in Christianity, that's not Jesus' fault. I can tell you what the problem is next week. If, if your stories of living by faith are all historical, maybe even deeply so, that's not Christianity. I can tell you why you're living that way next week. This week, the goal at this church is to become like Christ in all of life. You want to be a great mother, you need to become like Christ in your mothering. You want to have a... In a a fullness of experience in the workplace, you need to become like Christ in the workplace. You've, you, you have a problem, here's the solution, to become like Christ in that place of life. Here's the application this week. You need the spirit, you need truth, you need relationships. Could I challenge you? It's kind of the beginning of a new year, kind of. That's the way I think this time of year. 
Spirit, would you consider making a pledge to come to church on Sunday morning every week you can? Not because, you know, back to school, all that stuff, but like between now and Christmas Eve services, Grace coming to church or find a church, you go every week that you can. Do whatever it takes to get there. See what happens when you're involved in a community of believers, worshiping and learning and enjoying the nature of God together. Do that. In the context of truth, maybe you could consider doing a plus one to attendance of church. Maybe you could go to a a course, one of the courses that we have available that are, you know, that they're more academic in nature, more content oriented, or you could go to a community. We have communities from almost every single stage of, of life and then some that are independent of that. Maybe you should do that. Maybe a midweek Bible study. Learn how to think about thinking. Maybe make that commitment. And then finally, when it, the, the relationships, small groups, small group of people going through life, learning how to be friends for goodness sake and speaking back and forth in a place that's safe and true and vulnerable. There's no either, easier time to do this in the weeks ahead. That's why we do it. You, you drove here from 20 miles away. Could you just stay? Come to 915 service, cross the hall, go into a group, meet some people. If not, you know, maybe in the context of a, a community or just in your neighborhood. Here's, here's today's application. You want to become like Christ in all of life? You'll need the spirit. You're going to need truth. And you're going to need some great relationships. This is a place where we do that. We'd love you to join us. We'd love you to help us. Welcome to Grace Covenant Church. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are, um, Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would uh, talk to us right now about what type of person we are. We find ourselves meditating, contemplating, hoping for things of the flesh, the desires of the body. Do we do what this thing tells us to do? Or if at least... I know, Lord, there's people like that. I'd ask that you would hear, they would hear your spirit say, it doesn't have to be that way. It might be more powerful than your will, but it's not more powerful than God's spirit. There's men and women here, they just, they think morality is the be-all and end-all. He's just being good is enough. I'd ask that your spirit would speak to them about all that they're missing out, the joy of life. Lord, would you help us be a church that experiences that spiritual existence, that agape love, friends for goodness sake, a spiritual birth. We'd be a church full of people that need an explanation for how and why we hope so well because of the promises you made in Jesus Christ by the power of the spirit that lives within us and the glory of the Father that rules. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.